begin a new series this weekend called The Process of a Dream. The Process of a Dream. It isn't the dream that causes people to get in trouble, to go off course, to lose hope. It's the process that a dream goes through before it becomes reality. And it's extremely difficult, painful, and quite often costly. So a lot of folks don't count the cost of a dream. What I've discovered, there are no Kmart, blue light, markdown special dreams. If you got a great dream, there's a big price tag on it. Never, never is there a sale. So if you want to settle for a blue light markdown special, get used to average, mediocre, anybody can do it, boring, dull, vanilla, sterile, impotent. Did I leave anything out? There are some people that have a personality like that. It's like a dial tone. Ah, uh, oh, come on. I want to jack you up and get you to get back in gear and dream big. One of my mentors when I was young, which was a long, long time ago, used to say, Ricky, dream big. And I never forgot those words. Dream big. Real, real bold. He said, you might not get everything you dream for, but you'll never get more than you dream for. So shoot for the moon. Dream big. Encourage your children. Dream big. Be ambitious with your life. That is godly. That is not ungodly. God, who can do anything, didn't make you to be small and insignificant and mediocre. God, our God, who is so huge, doesn't call us to just be ordinary. God wants you to make a difference, to stand out, to be salt, to invade this world, to be part of it. I'm sick and tired of Christians complaining about Hollywood and media and journalists, and I thought, why don't you go to college? Why don't you go to schools? Why don't you get in journalism and become a professor, become a journalist, get into the media, write scripts in Hollywood, and get salt, make a difference. You can't sit in church and cuss the world. You have to get in it. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry for preaching, but I do have a license. All right. I mean, it's just so easy. We got the cupcake whining generation. Do something about it. Well, we're not human beings trying to have a spiritual experience. We are spirit beings mastering the human experience. God intends for every one of us to live life by design, not by default, and certainly not from crisis to crisis. He's already designed the life for us. We need to discover it. Proverbs 13, verse 12, the book of wisdom. Hope deferred or delayed makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. You know, when you have hope, it's like a good cappuccino. You want to wake up in the morning. Many Christians have no hope except for heaven. And they sing, just a few more weary years and I'll fly away when I die. Hallelujah. Bye. Can you say hallelujah when I die? There ain't nothing nice in dying. I tell people heaven's for dead people. I don't, I'm not anxious to get in that next load. I don't know about you. 
uh, or Beulah Land, or Just Build Me a Cabin in Glory. Those songs came out of days of oppression and slavery. They, they are not doctrinally sound. God doesn't intend for you to scrub along a few more weary years. God wants you to have an adventure, an exciting life, and make a difference, something that has purpose and meaning in it. Come on. I hope you got more hope than just for heaven. That's where most Christians live. But what about this life? All of us have a time span on this planet, a shelf life. And I've buried babies. I've done the funeral of children, seven and eight years old, teenagers, young adults, and elderly people. You don't know when this life is over. It's a vapor. It's pretty fast. So my hope is that in this life, you and I can make some deposit, leave a footprint, make it better in some way before we leave it. I want to do what David did in Acts 13, serve the purpose of God in my generation. That's it. That's the best you can do. Remember the one steward in Matthew 25 who received five talents, invested them, made, got ten. Another guy was given two, invested them, got four. One guy got one talent buried it, didn't lose it, didn't use it. So these two that invested their talent wisely and multiplied them, the Lord said just to those two, well done, good and faithful servant, now enter into the joy of the Lord. We said that faithfulness is not maintaining, faithfulness is multiplying. The guy that didn't lose it was called a wicked or slothful and unproductive servant. You don't want to hear that from Jesus. You don't want to hear him say, Gloria, why didn't you use what I gave you? You just sat on it. No, you didn't get drunk. You didn't lose it. You didn't have uh, an affair or whatever you could think of. I don't know. You didn't murder anybody. You just didn't do anything. You know, God can handle a lot of your flaws. Just do something. He's so anxious to have somebody do something, he'll use almost anything. That's a fact. So the joy of the Lord's not going to come in your life until you start using what God's given you in this life. Joy comes in your productivity, not in your slothfulness. We, this is an action life. You know, following Jesus means somebody's moving. Somebody's doing something. Sitting in church is not moving, okay? This is not where the action is. It's when we leave and get out of the salt shaker. That's the action. They say men can survive maybe 60 days without food if you're in good health, and maybe a few days without water, but you can't survive a minute without hope. In Acts 27, there's a major storm. Paul is a prisoner in Roman chains. The ship is about to sink. It looks like it's going to be fatal. And it says in Acts 27, 20, when all hope was gone, that was to the crew, Paul went on to say, hey, be of good cheer. Paul had hope. God had spoken to him through an angel and told him how this thing's going to turn out. You're going to get wet, but you're not going to die. Now, some of you may get wet, but you ain't going to die, not if God's not through with you. You need to have hope. We serve Corinthians. Paul writes, we serve the God of all hope. There is never supposed to be a hopeless situation for a believer. Never do I have a hope. I've had some days I was depressed, 
I've had some days when I felt discouraged, but I've never had a day I thought there's no hope. Now, if God can open the womb of a 90-year-old woman, if God can hold the sun still for Joshua, if He can back it up 10 degrees for Hezekiah, what's your problem? What's your problem? Come on. I got hope. Paul had hope. He knew how it was going to turn out. And when you have hope, you're confident, aren't you? You got, you, you, there's a little spring in your step. I said last week, you know, I've given up trying to get some of you to take a leap of faith. I've said maybe a hop. Get something going on. So, Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred, delayed, put off, makes the heart sick, but when dreams come true, there's life and joy. I wonder how many of you have a dream. See, if you don't have a dream, you're a dead person. Dream, dream. Dead people can't dream. But if you're alive and breathing, you've got a dream of some kind inside of you. You may have abandoned it, but there's a dream there. I want to wake up the dreamer in you today. You ask a little child, I don't care what country he lives in, what the economic situation of the family is, it doesn't matter. Ask any child what they want to be when they grow up. Their eyes will brighten, they will immediately respond, I want to be a doctor, an astronaut, I want to be a fireman, I want to be a teacher. They always want to be somebody great. A child never says, gee, I want to be a drug addict when I'm 20. I want to be in jail for murder when I'm 25. No, no, no. They don't talk like that because that's not their dream. They don't want to be dead at an early age. They've got dreams of success. And God placed dreams on the inside of every person. Every human being came out of the womb pre-programmed, pregnant with dreams. God never made anything without a purpose. <laughs> Hair in your ear? Our nose, Google, it has a purpose. The only thing I wonder about is tonsils. Everybody gets their tonsils out. And I thought, Lord, what do you give us these dumb things for if everybody cuts them out? And then wisdom teeth. There's another one. I don't feel any smarter, and it would hurt to have them taken out. I don't know. Maybe the medical profession can help me on that one. So God never made anything without a purpose, and He never made anything self-destructive. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5, God's reasoning with a young man who considers himself a child. His name is Jeremiah. And God says, before I formed you in the womb, before that sperm hit the egg and conception occurred, I knew you, Jack. I called you by name, and I ordained you to be a prophet to the nation. That's before that sucker ever even came out. See, before the doctor filled out a birth certificate, God already named you. God already had a purpose for you. So God knew exactly what He wanted you to be before you were born. Don't worry about what your parents may. They may have said, oh, you were our little accident. Oh, you were our little surprise. You weren't a surprise to God at all. Maybe to your parents, but not to God. You're right here on time. You've come to the kingdom for such a moment as this. So wake up. Don't care what they think or what they thought. I got a bigger perspective. I came through my parents. I didn't come from them. I came from God through them. And God picked up a little DNA to make me, to make you. And we're all different. And that's kind of neat. God loves diversity. He hates division, but He loves diversity. 
If two of us are identical, one of us isn't necessary. And even if you came out of the same family as twins, you're going to be different than your sister or your brother, not only in your DNA and fingerprints, but in your tastes and wants, and perhaps even your gifting. You're going to be different. God loves diversity. Jeremiah had a dream of changing his nation. He didn't feel he was adequate. He thought he was just a child, didn't know much. And so God awakened a sleeping giant inside of him. So Proverbs 13 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when dreams come true, there's life and joy. And basically that's the only time you'll ever see real fulfillment in your life, is when that dream becomes a reality. Otherwise, you're just taking up space on planet Earth. People with a dream never stay depressed. I didn't say they don't get depressed, I said they don't stay depressed, because they are daily living their dream. They know a setback is not the end of something. God can turn that into a comeback. That's just a temporary destruction, distraction, excuse me. It's just a momentary intervention, but it can't stop the purpose of God. God says, that which I have begun in you, Philippians 1, 6, I will perform it unto the day of Jesus. So quit looking at the circumstances that want to contradict that. If God says, I will make this happen, He will make it happen. And he's given us illustrations throughout the Old Testament. Paul writes, everything written and recorded in the Old Testament was written not for a history lesson, but to encourage you so you could have hope and encouragement so that you could realize what he did for them, he can do for you. You got to get up. Some of you need a bigger God. You need to get a bigger God than your denomination, a bigger God than your nationality, a bigger God than your race or gender. God won't fit in your box. There's a lot of people say, well, I want the Lord to come, but I want Him to come my way, in my image. He's a spirit, so He ain't going to come your way. He may not even have your political affiliation. You know you've made God in your own image when He hates everybody you do. <laughs> Isn't it true? Isn't it true? So why do people quit and end up with self-defeating habits? Why do they drift off course and lose sight of a dream? Because they don't understand the process of a dream. Many times it's because of delay, a delay. A delay doesn't mean denial. You can delay me, but you can't stop me. And if your dream isn't bigger than you, it probably isn't a dream from God. If you can accomplish it on your time, your talent, your resources, God didn't give it to you. When God gives a man or a woman a dream, it's always beyond your natural capacity, intellectual capacity, financial capacity, experience, relationship. He never calls you to do anything you can do without Him, but with Him you can do it. And we've got history on our side to prove it. So. You need a big dream. In the book of Zechariah, they're trying to rebuild the temple. The people are discouraged. And Zechariah shows up in chapter 4, verse 10, and he tells them, don't despise, don't undervalue the day of small things. Don't take those small things for granted. See, all dreams start in seed form. And when you have a seed, you hold the future. When you learn to plant that seed and water it, you start to watch it grow and become a reality in your life. But everything in life starts in a seed form. Nothing can ever be developed if it's not first small. Our little children represent potential. They're seeds. 
That's the future. The only people that got on planet Earth big was Adam and Eve. When God made them and created them and fashioned them, they were adults. So they didn't have a belly button. Say, I like his deep stuff. You got a belly button because you had an umbilical cord. But God made him out of mud and then made Eve out of his rib. And I'm thinking, well, they never came through a birth canal. God made them big. God made the animal life grown. God made the plant life grown. But every other cow, every other human, every other fruit that was ever going to come came through a seed. Or there would never be another human or another animal. It had to come as a seed. So you'll never get a full-blown dream. You'll get a seed of a dream. And it has to go through the process of development. So everything starts in a seed form, and that's where dreams get aborted, simply because we don't see the potential of something because it, for the moment, is insignificant, it's small, it doesn't look like there's much to it, and so we say, ah, what's the use? We hear a lot about the abortion of unborn babies, and we resent it. But how about the abortion in the womb of your imagination that you abort every single day? Thoughts, ideas, revelations that come up in your mind telling you, you can do this. And you go, no, not me. God says, I want to use your mind as an incubator to give birth to something that will bless others. And you say, no, not me. I'm Baptist. I'm Episcopalian. I'm Catholic. I didn't go to college. I had a divorce. So because we don't want to take responsibility, we grab an excuse. We kill the idea. We kill the dream. Every problem in life has a solution. Somebody's got it. And God says, can I use you? And then you say, no, not me. Uh, Moses, can I use you? No, I stutter. I don't speak well. Use Aaron, my brother. Everybody. Uh, he goes up to a guy, a coward, Gideon. And he says, well, I'm the, you know, I come from the smallest tribe. Our church didn't have over 200 people in it, and I, I'm the smallest in, in my family. We're the most insignificant. We scored in the bottom third of our class. You can't use me. You know, folks, not much about human nature changes. Everybody's been to this rodeo before you got here. Everybody's faced these problems. So God looks for vessels. He's never concerned about your ability. If you need more, He can give you more. But He's looking for your availability. He found a girl named Mary. God had an idea to use a virgin girl to birth the Son of God. He asked Mary through the angel Gabriel, hey, can I borrow your womb? And Mary says, how can this be? I'm not married. I hadn't slept around with anybody. How can it be? And Gabriel says, well, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and impregnate you. You're going to be a surrogate mother for the, the Son of God. And by the way, for those of you that may have a Catholic background, I understand that the Vatican opposes surrogate motherhood, which would leave Mary out. Pause. Take a deep <laughs> breath. Mary was a surrogate mother. She didn't have sex 
with anybody physically. She didn't commit immorality. She was impregnated by the Spirit of God. And surrogate moms can take an egg of another woman, the seed of that woman's husband, and use her womb as sort of a storage hanger for nine months. Now you say, well, I couldn't do that. Well, then don't. But don't condemn other people. And certainly you wouldn't condemn Mary. Folks, welcome to church with a brain. You have to think. You have to think. Don't let any denomination take away your right to think. This is, this is not difficult. I was never a good denominational boy. Why? Why? I want to know why. Well, because that's not an answer. See, anything God validates, God will substantiate. It's, it's, it, he's not afraid of your little brain or mine. Okay. Uh, some of you at least will walk out with that knowledge. Mary was a surrogate mother. Yes, she was. She was. But how about Mary could have aborted the idea completely and said, not a chance. Then Jesus would find another vessel, maybe wait another hundred years. So in the same way, God places things in you, in me, and tries to give birth to it, but we abort it. We'd just rather go to heaven. Now the reason is we don't have any hope that God could or would use us or that we could possibly make any difference in our world. In John 12, verse 20, Jesus said, unless a kernel of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it remains just a single seed. But if it dies, if it's released, if it's planted, it'll produce many seeds. And when God puts a dream, a seed in you, He wants to give it a voice and feet and eyes and work it through your life. What you may attempt to do with God may seem small and insignificant at the moment. The child that has a dream to do something big goes and tells his mama, when I grow up, I want to be this. And mama, without thinking, says, oh, son, you know there's nobody in our family who ever did that. What are you, get that out of your mind. See, there are dream thieves and dream killers in homes killing a child's dream. Son, you know we can't afford college. Stop talking nonsense like that. Well, wait a minute. If you're a believer, don't you ever say, we can't afford that. You may not be able to afford it at the moment. You may not need it at the moment. But if it's part of God's plan for your life, I assure you, when you need it, you will be able to afford it. And so don't you tell a little child, don't you even think about it, mama works two jobs, we can't, we don't have enough money for that. Uh, there, God can use people, God can use a suddenly miraculous, God can use a scholarship, all kinds of ways God can meet that need. But at least don't be guilty of killing the dream. You encourage those children to dream big and go for it. Never say we can't afford it. My grandparents lived through the Great Depression, and they lost everything in that Depression like most people did. But they bounced back, built a business, and uh, did, did very, very well. They, they had no financial need. But all I ever remember hearing these post-Depression grandparents who raised me say, still in my head, Ricky, shut the door. Don't let the heat out. Cut the lights off. Shut the door. Don't let the heat out. Cut the lights off. And the first time I ever bought a home, I threw both doors wide open, <laughs> turned on all the lights, and stood in the door. Eat that, world. I, 
there's just plenty in this world. Some of you have a poverty mindset because of the people who raised you. That's, that's terrible. Our God is a God of abundance. He owns everything, the earth and everything in it. I'm not, there's more where this came from. And so they, uh, they had that mindset. See, they, people can look at the smallness of something, even an idea. And they can look at the insignificance of a person and say, well, look at that. It's impossible. School teachers make a big monstrous X if you get something wrong on a paper. And if you get it right, they just put a little chip. <laughs> they magnify the wrong instead of the right. Always magnify the good things your children do. If you're always telling your kids, you're not going to go to school, you're not going to get a job, you're a failure, you'll never be anything, you'll never have anything, watch your words. That's what they'll end up becoming, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Power of life and death is in the tongue. God found Gideon hiding in a wine pass. He didn't call him a coward or a cupcake or weak. That's what we're calling all the millenniums. I'm reading, I'm reading all the articles that come out, and they're called cupcakes. They, they can't handle anything. They can't handle any stress or any pressure. And so here's a guy hiding from the enemy in a wine press, and God addresses him as a mighty man of valor. See, God sees you the way He wants you to become, not the way you are now. You may seem weak, insignificant, and useless right now. You may have a kid like that right now. But God knows, hey, inside of that mess, there's great potential. A little boy's lunch, a little Happy Meal, small, insignificant, five loaves, two fish, 5,000, they didn't count women and children, 5,000 men, maybe 20,000 people. When he gave his little to Jesus, it fed a multitude. When you give your little to Jesus, he multiplies it and can make a big dream come true. But if you don't give him anything, nothing times nothing is still nothing, right? Nothing, nothing leaves nothing. You got to have something if you want to dance with me. Is it, is, I don't, who was that, Percy? Yeah, that was an old song. I get good sermons out of these old songs. And my wife says, shut up. Nobody knows what those songs are now. <laughs> but they, so your life may look insignificant, may look puny. Give it to Jesus. You'll be, you'll be amazed what he can do with you. He can make something out of nothing, really. He, he just doesn't have any problem. When you get God involved in your dreams, nothing can stop you. How many people feel, well, I can't do anything because of lack of money? But you get a big dream. Big dreams create resources. Put your dream, you know, if you've got a Kmart dream, it's not going to draw a big donor. There's no attraction to that. Give somebody a big hair curling, set them on fire kind of a dream, and you're going to draw people with that. You, you know, if you've got a poverty mentality, you're not going to draw people around you who, who said, but you dream too small. Your, your life is too small. You don't have any big vision. I want to do something. I want to change the world. I'm going to go to another church. I'm going to go hang around somebody else. I can't hang around this muttering, whining, thumb-sucking uh, poverty mentality. Boy, we got a lot of that, too. Yeah, you've, a lot of you have been shaped by your culture. You've been shaped by the people who raised you, uh, the neighborhood you grew up in. I told you, I, when I was in South Carolina, that's where I was birthed. Redneck, Crackerville, bigoted, racist. And I was amazed that the church, 
is still singing the same songs with old, dying, wilted people with no life, no vision. They're still redneck. They haven't grown. They haven't learned anything new. They haven't grabbed any new technology. There's no life. There's no birthing of new people. Nothing. And they'll die that way. And it's sad. I left town. <laughs> you don't have to die where you're planted. You can move. And you can either move physically or you can move intellectually. You can move. So I may be st stuck with certain relatives and in-laws and people, but I don't think like they do. And you don't have to think like they do either. You can think a lot big. Hang around people who think big, who dream big. It, it's catchy. It'll enlarge you. You may not be exactly like them, but it'll strengthen you. Positive people, people with a can-do mentality, people who won't quit. Hang around those people. We live around a, you know, wait, wait, January will come, everybody will get Christmas gifts to the gym, everybody will go to the gym in the new spandex stretchy pants that shouldn't be in spandex stretchy pants, and they'll be on a machine, and then 30 days later it'll be cut in half. They drop out. They drop out. Yeah, it hurt. Well, yeah, it hurts. Anything worth having hurts a little bit. So here's what the disciples do. They look at a little boy's lunch. They look at 20,000 people and they say, what is this among so many? See, as long as you look at yourself and your resources and your dream out of your eyes, you're going to see it way too small and impossible. But once you put that dream in the hand of Jesus, it has the potential of multiplying and becoming big. God multiplies what you give Him so you have something to distribute to other people. And the process of a dream can be so discouraging. It can. A woman gets excited when she's pregnant. The good news spreads. Oh boy, she buys maternity clothes. Her friends give her showers of gifts. They decorate and paint a room. Yeah, maybe some of the family, mom or dad, jump in and buy a little stroller or, or some cute outfits or something. And everybody's so happy and she's so cute. But after about eight months, she ain't cute anymore. And she starts to waddle around the house, and she's miserable, can't sleep, can't get the babies moving all over the place. She can't wait to get rid of this thing, especially if it's overdue. Now if, if you could have a baby in a week, most women would say, yeah, okay. But that's nine months, and that's just the start. And then there's the birth of the thing. Oh, Lord, that's the... I watched both of our girls come out, and I thought, I couldn't do that. <laughs> well, sir, buddy, you talk about safe sex, there'd be no sex. I would, no, no, no. I bind you. No, I ain't doing that. I couldn't do it. I'm just, I mean, that's, that was intense. And, and I only watched. Yeah, big help. I, I, I ate the sucker or whatever you're supposed to give in Lamaze to your wife or whatever. I ate that. One guy, one guy fainted and passed out and they had to take him out watching, watching his wife. It's, it, 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 I don't know many men that could do such a thing as that. But I'm talking about, well, the dreams are the same way. You know, you get a cheap little dream, it's easy. But you get a big dream, it's painful. And man, it just takes so long. 
They don't come on time. They, they don't come easy. They don't come cheap. And it's extremely painful. There's a lot of uncertainty in it. And, you know, that kind of makes us negative. You've heard somebody else tried and it failed. And many times we refuse to step out and do something big and new because there's a lot of uncertainty in it. Some of you may be halfway there. Let me urge you, don't stop. Don't become a camper. And for God's sake, don't become a quitter. Keep on climbing. A dream is an invisible photograph of what can become a reality. Everybody's got dreams on the inside, out of sight. But how's it going to happen? Well, like going a thousand miles, it starts with one step. You have to take a step. you got to start. If you've got a dream to be a doctor, work around a hospital or a medical profession. If you dream of being a pilot, get a job or around an airport. My idea is get close to your dream. If you want to marry an architect, go live, get an apartment, and go get a job near someplace, a university that produces them. <laughs> Don't fish where they're not. Girls, guys. Whatever you want to be part of, find out where they make them and produce them and go there. Fishermen know that. If you want to catch bass, you got to go where they are. They're not going to come to you. Get close to your dream. I'm telling you the truth. You don't need Dr. Phil. If I want something, I'm going to find out where can I get it. And I'm going to do anything in my power to at least get close where I've got a shot at capturing what I want. Hang out with me for a week. Come on. I dare you. You're not going to thumb suck cupcake around me. It's not going to happen. We're going to keep trying till we get what we want. Don't despise the process of a dream. There's going to be lots of ups and downs. Expectations that don't happen. Disappointment. Setback. Ask Joseph. He was a dreamer. But he didn't allow his setbacks, betrayal, imprisonment, kill his dream. And it took 21 years, but the dream came true. I don't know how many people could endure 21 years waiting on a dream. Some of you need to resurrect some dreams you've allowed to die inside of you. If you'd have pursued those dreams, where would you be today? When you quit, you can never know what could have been. And I don't know about you, but I couldn't live with that. I got to know what could have been. I heard a ski instructor in Colorado tell a discouraged student, you will never become a good skier until you learn how to fall. If you're not falling, you're not learning. Anytime you try to do something new, you're going to fall. You've got to get experience at it. So get up and try again. It's not the end of the world. And some of your biggest critics can be family or relatives. And maybe they're jealous or maybe they're afraid you might make it and make them look bad. I don't know. Or maybe because they only know you as brother or son or daughter, not who God made you to be. You know, Moses' sister Miriam raised him as a baby, changed his nasty diapers. She was sort of his authority. But when he became God's chosen leader of a nation of Israel, she got familiar because that's her brother, and she forgot who he was in the spiritual realm which was God's chosen that he spoke to face to face. And because of that, she spoke rather harshly about who he married. He married interracially an Ethiopian woman, and God smote that woman with leprosy for seven days. 
You can be too familiar with your children or a friend and not realize who God's made them to be. And that's why don't allow that discouragement to come because of family and friends. They know you. They know, well, you goof up, you did this, you did that. But that's not who you are, and that's not your potential. And maybe they're too close to you to see it. Most everybody I know that became a great leader was overlooked in their development. Nobody thought God would use them. Casey Treat was a drug dealer and a drug user. Drop out of high school. Who would have ever picked him to build a great church in the Pacific Northwest? Ray McCauley had national influence in South Africa. I was in his car twice when President Mandela would call him. I thought, dang, this is pretty neat. President, he never called me. <laughs> but he was just a bodybuilder with Arnold Schwarzenegger, was Mr. South Africa at 17 and using steroids and was a bouncer in a nightclub. What teacher says, oh, you're going to do great things. You're going to be a world changer. You're going to be a mighty man of God, not one. God doesn't pick like we do. Be careful who you reject. Like Joseph's brothers who tried to kill his dream. Most people will never see what God sees in you. When we see Adam, we see one man. When God saw Adam, He saw the entire human race. People saw an old man with an old wife and no kids. God saw the father of many nations in Abraham. People saw a murderer named Moses. God saw a deliverer. When Samuel wanted to, uh, went to Jesse to pick a new king of Israel, he went to Jesse and looked at all of his sons, and they all looked good to Samuel. And God says, no, I reject them. Finally, he asked Jesse if he had any other children. And Jesse, almost embarrassed, said, well, yeah, but he's out back keeping sheep. And David was chosen and anointed to be king. All they saw was a shepherd boy. God saw a king. How about you? What do you see in yourself? See, God doesn't see what you see. Many of you can't look yourself in the mirror. You don't like yourself. You don't think you deserve anything. I was tweeting this morning, the symbol of Christianity is a cross, not a ladder. I'm not climbing by my good works to get God's favor. I received it as a gift by grace through His work at the cross. So God can use anything. Isn't it great? I love that. So some of you find it difficult to receive anything. God says, you're my beloved. You are mighty. You're engraved in the palm of my hands. You're the pupil of my eye. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. You're accepted in the beloved. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Remember what God told Samuel when David was chosen? 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. God sees the potential of what you can become. So don't be too concerned about what people say or don't say about you. Base your value on what God says about you, not what somebody blogs about you. People's opinion, that changes so quick today. Compliments are kind of like perfume. Smell it, but don't drink it. <laughs> to live through the process of a dream, you've got to see your unseen potential. It's true. So what do you read? What do you listen to? Who are your friends? Show me where you invest your time and money. I'll show you your future. 
What do you dream about? You're going to die the way you live. A drug addict will never change until he changes the dream inside about how he sees himself. His exterior is simply a reflection of what's happening inside. It's true. That's why giving a poor man just money won't solve his problem. It's like the prodigal. He just wastes it because he thinks wrong, has a wrong self-image. What he needs isn't money, it's wisdom. If you don't plan for tomorrow, don't expect anything good. You don't qualify for blessing tomorrow if you don't plant anything today. The future of anything is hidden in its seed, and your future is hidden in your dream. Dreamers can see things. Non-dreamers, they couldn't see it if it hit them in the face. 2 Corinthians 4.18, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but things which are not seen are eternal. Right now you're poor, but it's just temporary. Right now you have a rebellious child, but it's only temporary. Right now you're having a marriage problem, but it's only temporary. Stop seeing things as permanent, because when you do, you don't believe in change. And God can change everything. The only thing not subject to change is eternity. Everything else is subject to change. I do remember dreaming. We had a flea market on Bandera Road. We leased it. It was ugly. It was in a rundown side of town, graffiti. Every week we had to go in with roller brushes on the outside because of vulgar graffiti. We had armed guards in the parking lot because cars were kept getting broken into, batteries stolen, stereos pulled out. It was terrible. It was just ugly, but it had space enough to accommodate our growing church. And I just remember thinking, driving over there, I hate driving over to this nasty looking place. Hey, look, at, look at all these people driving by. I thought, one day they're going to say, oh, look at that nasty place over there. Why, they must handle snakes. I bet that's a cult. Look at that trashy old place over there. Oh, let's, let's drive our new car on down the road. And I thought, one day, baby, one day we're going to come out of this place, and you're going to say, well, I can't believe that's who you were. Well, I can't believe that's where you came from. Why would you look there? Yeah. And now you drive nice cars on the parking lot instead of leaving an oil slick like we did in, in the old days. And it's really kind of nice. But I mean, I had that dream along. You had to go through, man, years of, of embarrassment and, and looking nasty. We did our best to keep everything excellent, painted, clean, everything. But still, you just knew, we're coming out of this. I'm coming out of this one day. I'm coming out of this. And you got to have the same thing. One day, things are going to turn around. One day, things are going to change. And one day, everything can change. In one day, everything can change in your life. God is a God of suddenlies. You know, it's, it's amazing how long you wait for a quickie. It's like it happened quick, but it'd been a long process waiting to happen. But when God decides it's time, boom, it, it comes down like a hammer. Believe your situation can change. It is not permanent. I promise you that. And when I believe that everything else is subject to change. Don't limit yourself by the temporal. If it's temporal, it's subject to change. Michael Jordan's high school basketball coach said he wasn't basketball potential. Boy, talk about a village idiot. <laughs> Who's telling you you can't dream? 
you're worthless. God won't use you. You're not educated enough. Don't you listen to that. If God put that dream in you, God will make that dream come true. The only thing that can stop it is you, is you. So dream, and dream big. And if you stop pursuing it because it's been a long time, hey, get in line. I'm, I wouldn't line up for free money, so I fight impatience. If you put the word, I hate that four-letter word, W-A-I-T, wait. Christmas traffic, wait. It brings out the dark side in me. <laughs> Things like murder, <laughs> drive-by shooting, some, it, all those nasty things come up inside of me. They don't come out, they just come up. And I remember thinking, boy, it's sure taken a long time to get to the place I saw so many years ago when we started in such humble, nasty beginnings. So don't get impatient. God is not an American. It's not hurry up. It's wait. I close with this scripture from Hebrews. You have need of endurance or perseverance that after you have done the will of God, you might obtain the promise. What do I need? I need perseverance. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to believe this thing will change. I'm going to believe this thing will come true. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this uh, uh, slavery. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this prison. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this situation. But God made this promise to me. God gave me a dream to be, to become, to do. And God Himself will bring that to pass. The only variable is me. God's promise is immutable. Nothing can stop it. And so as a result, I'm the only one that can stop it. I don't want to limit God, so I'm going to stay with it even when I don't feel like it. How to be your best? When you feel your worst, you stand on God's Word. You stand on what promise He made to you, and that dream will come true. For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com and connect with us on social media.